I'm Chelsea. And I'm Deidre. And we're giving you a million murders. So, we're back with part two. Yes. On the wrongfully convicted. Yes. So, where I left off on the last one, um, the last case of this article, sorry, I had a moment. Mm-hmm. So, this is Suzanne Johnson. Okay. Our fifth case involves a child who died while in the San Diego home daycare of Suzanne Johnson. Mm-hmm. The law did not believe Suzanne's version of an an accidental fall causing the death of the child. So instead, the police turned the home into a crime scene and the justice system wrongfully accused and then convicted Suzanne of killing the baby. Mm. The court sentenced her to 25 years to life. She served 21 years before Governor Newsom finally granted her clemency. Mm. Okay. The updated science of forensic pediatric pathology regarding the diagnosis of shaken baby syndrome indicted, indicted, indicated that Suzanne served over two decades for a crime she didn't commit. Okay, so they thought that the baby died from shaken baby syndrome, but really the baby actually did fall. From what, yeah, and oh, that's okay. what she had mentioned to them. Right. So, there's another article on that, since because that one didn't have a lot of info. Yeah, it didn't give us the tea. Um, I'm hoping this does, because, I mean, it's pretty, it's got like six or seven pretty decent-sized paragraphs, but, mm-hmm. so, it just says Suzanne Johnson, you know, and it's got, um, her conviction was assault on a child causing death, her sentence was 25 to life, which they said that, mm-hmm. and she served 21 years. And cost to taxpayers was $585,000. Yeah. Yeah. And the Kim Long one was like 500 and something thousand. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, and this, this happened in 1997. Mm. So, on June 24th, 1997, Suzanne Johnson was babysitting six-month-old Jasmine Miller. Mm. Jasmine fell out of her high chair and cried for a few minutes, but then appeared to be fine. Suzanne warmed Jasmine's food, picked her up, and began feeding her while holding her on her lap. That's scary. Yeah. Well, and falling from a chair is pretty high. Yeah. So for her to, I mean, you would think if something was really wrong, maybe the baby would be like bawling its eyes out. So the fact that, you know, the baby cried for a few and then stopped and it was fine. Like, that's scary because it's like something's just Mm -hmm. just a brewing. Suddenly, Jasmine began to vomit and then become unresponsive. Mm. Suzanne immediately called 911 and performed CPR until paramedics arrived, and Jasmine did not recover. At autopsy, the medical examiner determined Jasmine's death was due to violent shaking and blunt force trauma to the head. Oh, okay. After two trials, on April 30th of 1999, Johnson was convicted of assault on a child causing death and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. At the time of Suzanne's conviction, the prevailing belief was when an infant died of head injuries, the person with the infant at the time of death must have caused the injury. Okay. 
Experts believed the presence of three symptoms, hemorrhages in the eyes, bleeding in the brain, and swelling of the brain always proved an infant had been violently shaken. Okay. It was also a widely held belief that an infant could not sustain a fatal head injury from a short fall, like a fall from a high chair. Okay. So based on the scene accepted in 1999, Suzanne's account of Jasmine's death couldn't have been true. Mm-hmm. And the only explanation was that Suzanne shook her, slammed her head against a hard object, watched for, her, you know, watched for two hours as she slowly died and called 911. Oh. Only after Jasmine appeared to be dead. Like, you know, oof, that's just... I don't like talking to myself like this. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. So near the end of her trial, the judge said Suzanne was obviously an exemplary, caring, and loving lady. Mm. But the medical science established her guilt. Yeah. They're like, it's, they're just taking it for 100%. Like, yep. Well, Mm -hmm. this is what happened. Yep. Okay. So since the trial, the understanding and science of shaken baby syndrome and non-accidental trauma have advanced and the beliefs that were held at the time of her conviction have largely been abandoned. It is now known that other conditions such as hepatitis immunization, mm-hmm. I don't know why that's such a hard word for me, such as hepatitis immunization and the effects of CPR can result in the three symptoms previously only attributed to shaken baby syndrome. Oh, okay. Jasmine received her hepatitis immunization three days before her death and was administered CPR by Suzanne, by the paramedics, and by doctors at the hospital. It is also known, it is also now known that a shortfall, like a fall from a high chair, can result in trauma sufficient to cause an infant's death and death from a shortfall injury is more probable when an infant has a previous skull injury. Hmm. In fact, when Jasmine fell from her high chair, she had an existing skull fracture that had occurred months earlier. Oh. The pre-existing skull fracture was confirmed by Jasmine's failure to thrive, physical discomfort, feeding problems, constant crying, and autopsy findings. Because of these scientific advancements, if Suzanne was tried today, she would not be convicted. In fact, other than the now discredited circumstantial scientific evidence, There would not even be a basis upon which to bring charges. CIP investigated and litigated Suzanne's case for many years, fully documenting with scientific experts and evidence that Suzanne's version of the events leading to Jasmine's death is entirely consistent with the child's injuries. CIP also filed clemency petitions with both Governor Brown and Governor Newsom. On March 27, 2020, Governor Newsom granted Suzanne Johnson's clemency petition. On April 3, 2020, Suzanne Johnson walked out of Central California Women's Facility as a free woman, having spent 21 years in prison for a crime she did not commit. Wow, okay. 
So she had already fallen before, Mm -hmm. and then she fell, and then she had the hepatitis immunization, and then she had the CPR, and so all of that. And of course it didn't. Yeah. Tell. Tell all that in the one. But yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was the Suzanne Johnson. Now, this um, other article I'm going to read, it's about a man who was wrongfully convicted of three murders oh. in 1979 and is now free. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they thought he was like a serial killer. I, yeah, I guess so. Huh. Or like three, it may have been Just, one sitting, but anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> this was published November 24th of 2021. Okay. So it's a couple year old article. So, a Kansas City man who was jailed for more than 40 years for three murders was released from prison Tuesday after a judge ruled that he was wrongfully convicted in 1979. Kevin Strickland, 62, has always maintained that he was home watching television and had nothing to do with the killings, which happened when he was 18 years old. He learned of the decision when the news scrolled across the television screen as he was watching a soap opera. He said inmates began screaming. I'm not necessarily angry. It's a lot. I think I've created emotions that you all don't know about just yet, he told reporters as he left the Western Missouri Correctional Center in Cameron. Joy, sorrow, fear. I'm trying to figure out how to put them together. He said he would like to get involved in efforts to keep this from happening to someone else, saying the criminal justice system needs to be torn down and redone. Judges James Welsh, a retired Missouri Court of Appeals judge, ruled after a three-day evidentiary evidentiary a three-day evidentiary hearing requested by a Jackson County prosecutor who said evidence used to convict Strickland had since been recanted or disproven. Okay. Welsh wrote in his judgment that clear and convincing evidence was presented that undermines the court's confidence in the judgment of conviction. He noted that no physical evidence linked Strickland to the crime scene and that a key witness recanted before her. Before her death. Under these unique circumstances, the court's confidence in Strickland's convictions is to undermine that it cannot stand and the judgment of conviction must be set aside. Welsh wrote in ordering Strickland's immediate release. So the Jackson County prosecutor, Gene Peters Baker, who pushed for his freedom, moved quickly to dismiss the criminal charges against him so he could be released. Okay. So, to say we're extremely pleased and grateful is an understatement, she said in a statement. This brings justice, finally, to a man who has tragically suffered so greatly as a result of his wrongful conviction. But, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, a Republican running for the U.S. Senate, said Strickland was guilty and had fought to keep him incarcerated. So, in this case... We defended the rule of law and the decision that a jury of Mr. Strickland's peers made after hearing all the facts in the case. Schmidt's spokesman, Chris Newell, 
said in a brief statement, the court has spoken. No further action will be taken in this matter. Okay. So, I mean, he said... Not today, honey. No. We so ain't. they didn't have any evidence? I don't, I don't guess. I'm a, some, From what I understand is, like, he didn't have an alibi, like a solid alibi. But, I mean... Where's evidence proving that it was that he had done all these things? Okay, I was just making sure I didn't miss something because I'm like, wait, did was he at the scene of the crime? Which there's more. There's a lot more. And I got another one pulled up to read. It's got more info in it. So Governor Mike Parson, who declined Strickland's clemency request, tweeted simply that the court has made its decision. We respect the decision and the Department of Corrections will proceed with Mr. Strickland's release immediately. So, Strickland was convicted in the deaths of Larry Ingram, 21, John Walker, 20, oh, we know a John Walker, Sherry Black, 22, at a home in Kansas City. Okay. The evidentiary hearing focused largely on testimony from Cynthia Douglas, the only person to survive the April 25th, 1978 shootings. Okay. So, we're getting... Okay, we're finding out the... Because mm-hmm. I was like, I mean, I didn't zone out, right? Like, I didn't miss what oh, they no, told no. us why he was convicted. Okay, so, yeah, here we go. It was just like going over, like, I guess... Like a synopsis the, of what happened. Yeah. Okay. So, she initially identified Strickland as one of her, one of four men who shot the victims and testified to that during his two trials. Oh, Okay. So, Welsh wrote that she had doubts soon after the conviction, but initially was hesitant to act because she feared she could face perjury charges if she were to publicly recant statements previously made under oath. Dang. So, but so you just going to let this man go? Even though you're like, ooh, actually, I don't think he did it. But, you know, like, no, you would not be perjured. Like, you made a mistake. Like, you didn't just lie. Yeah. So, she later said she was pressured by police to choose strickland what and i mean they be doing that though sometimes they do but i'm like oh my god girl but and and let let it be known he is a black man okay so so okay so now i understand why she was scared about perjury because if she felt pressured to say it then she probably didn't truly believe it the whole mm-hmm. time. So then she felt like she was lying. Yeah. And was lying. Sounds like, okay. So she later said she was pressured by police to choose Strickland and tried for years to alert political and legal experts to help her prove she had identified the wrong man, according to testimony during the hearing from her family, friends, and a co-worker. Douglas died in 2015. So during the hearing, attorneys, which... That's the girl, mm-hmm. the Cynthia woman. So during the hearing, attorneys for the Missouri Attorney General's office argued that Strickland's advocates had not provided a paper trail that proved Douglas tried to recant her identification of Strickland, saying the theory was based on hearsay upon hearsay upon hearsay. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear the word hearsay, I think of Johnny Depp's trial. I'm just like, hearsay, <laughs> hearsay. hearsay. Leave the witness. <laughs> The judge also noted that two other men convicted in the killings later insisted Strickland wasn't involved. They named two other suspects who were never charged. What? Yeah. Um, 
So they're literally saying, no, that guy didn't do it, you know, and then, and they're giving up other people. It'd be one thing if it was like, they didn't, they're like, it was, we don't know who else was with us, but it wasn't him. Yeah. And he's like holding something against them and like going to get them more time or something like they're literally saying, no, that guy had nothing to do with it. Here's the other two that did do something. So she did have, there were four men. Mm-hmm. They done gave up the other two and y'all aren't going to look into it. Okay, cool. Cool. I know it's aggravating. Like I just, oof. that's insane, but okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So during his testimony, Strickland denied suggestions that he offered Douglas $300 to keep her mouth shut. Like, that ain't enough to keep... Mm-mm. And said that he had never visited the house where the murders occurred before they happened. So that's the testimony that he's denying happened. Like he's... Uh, okay. That he offered her 300 to keep her mouth shut. And he said that he'd never visited, you know, the house, whatever. Right, right. Okay. Okay, Strickland is black, and his first trial ended in a hung jury when the only black juror, a woman, held out for acquittal. Mm-hmm. She was like, come on, somebody. After his second trial in 1979, he was convicted by an all-white jury of one count of capital murder and two counts of second-degree murder. Mm. In May, Peters Baker announced that a review of the case led her to believe that Strickland was innocent. In June, the Missouri Supreme Court declined to hear Strickland's petition. But in August, Peters Baker used a new state law to seek the evidentiary hearing in Jackson County, where Strickland was convicted. The law allows local prosecutors to challenge convictions if they believe the defendant did not commit the crime. It was the first time and so far for the only and so far the only time that a prosecutor has used the law to fight a previous conviction. Okay. Even when the prosecutor is on your side. It took months and months for Mr. Strickland to come home and he still had to come home to a system that will not provide him any compensation for the 40 years he lost. No compensation? No compensation. So, Bunshell, executive director of the Midwest Innocent Project, who stood by Strickland's side as he was released, that's what he said. Mm -hmm. So, the state only allows wrongful imprisonment payments to people exonerated through DNA evidence, so Strickland doesn't qualify. Oh. That is not justice, she said. I think we are hopeful that folks are paying so much attention and really asking the question of what should our system of justice look like. But, I mean, 43 years being in prison and he's not going to get anything because DNA didn't prove, like, is it like DNA, they're wanting it to be 100% without a shadow of a doubt through scientific evidence? Like, yeah, is that like, what's happening? Because that's not cute. Y'all just let him go out here after 43 years in prison for murder and now, like... Think about that. Like, you've been in prison for 43 years. You then have to get out. He wasn't, like, 15 when this happened. So, like, he's older. Now he has to get out, find housing, find a job, and work for the rest of his life until he dies. Because he's not going to be able to save up anything for a 401. Like, or, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I just can't. Like, anyway. Okay. 
Yeah, it's a lot. A la 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 lot. So the next one that I'm going to be doing, mm-hmm. he was convicted and he was in prison for 28 years. Mm. The title of this article, it's the Los Angeles Times. It says wrongfully convicted man now free after 28 years. And he said, I was finally heard. As he languished in a Missouri prison for nearly three decades, Lamar Johnson never stopped fighting to prove his innocence, even when it meant doing much of the legal work himself. Okay, so this article was published February 18th of this year, 2023. Okay. Last week, a St. Louis judge overturned Johnson's murder conviction and ordered him freed. Johnson closed his eyes, shook his head, overcome with emotions, Shouts of joy rang out from the packed courtroom and several people, relatives, civil rights, activists, and others stood to cheer. Johnson's lawyers hugged one another and him. I can't say I knew it would happen, but I would never give up fighting for what I knew to be the right thing. That freedom was wrongfully taken from me, Johnson said. Thanks to a team of lawyers, a Missouri law that changed largely because of his case and his own dodged determination, he can start to put his life back together. It's persistence, the 49-year-old said Friday in an interview with the Associated Press. You have to distinguish yourself. I think the best way to get the court's attention or anyone's attention is to do much of the work yourself, Johnson said. That means making discovery requests from law enforcement agencies and the courts, and that's what I did. I wrote everybody wow so he's like in prison like doing all this yeah get trying to get himself out yeah like like has nobody seems and he's like busting butt yeah well i mean because he, he knows he's innocent he can do yeah but sit there he's either gonna sit there or he was like no i'm getting up out of here and i'm mm-hmm. about to prove that i didn't do it go ahead Go ahead. He said he was able to contact people who were willing to come forward and tell the truth. Johnson was just 20 in 1994 when his friend Marcus Boyd was shot to death Mm. on Boyd's front porch by two masked men. Police and prosecutors arrested Johnson days later, blaming the killing on a dispute over drug money. Both men were drug dealers. Hmm. From the outset, Johnson said he was innocent. His girlfriend backed his alibi that they were together when the killing occurred. The case against him was built largely on the account of an eyewitness who picked Johnson out of a police lineup and a jailhouse informant who told a police detective that he overheard Johnson discussing the crime. So decades of studies show that eyewitness testimony is right only about half the time. Yeah. And since Johnson's conviction across the country, there has been a reexamination of eyewitnesses, identifications, procedures, which have been shown to often reproduce racial biases. Mm-hmm. At a December hearing on Johnson's innocence claim, eyewitness James Gregory Elking testified that the detective had bullied him into naming Johnson as a shooter, allegedly telling Elking, I know you know who it is, and urging him to help get these guys off the street. St. Louis Circuit Judge David Mason also heard testimony calling into question the informant's integrity. 
even more, an inmate at South Central Correctional Center in Licking, Missouri, James Howard, came forward to tell the judge that he and another man were the shooters and that Johnson wasn't involved. Howard is currently serving a lifetime for an unrelated murder. Mm. After two months of review, Mason announced his ruling Tuesday. I felt like a weight had been lifted off of me, Johnson said. I think that came out in how emotional I got afterward. I was finally heard. It was a moment that he wasn't sure would ever come. A connection to another wrongfully convicted man also played a pivotal role in Johnson's eventual freedom. Ricky Kidd was convicted of killing two men in Kansas City in 1996, and he was sent to the Potosi Hmm. Correctional Center, where he and Johnson became friends. And one day in the prison yard, Johnson turned to Kidd. He said, you might not believe me, but I'm innocent. Kidd, Kidd recalled, I said, oh yeah, you might not believe me, but I'm innocent too. The two became cellmates. Eventually, the Midwest Innocence Project agreed to take on Kid's case. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Johnson's effort was going nowhere. Kid recalled a night when he was awakened by Johnson's quiet sobs and the sound of his feet pacing the floor. He said, Man, I don't think I'm going to make it out. I keep getting these doors I keep getting these doors shut. Kid said I said, You gotta hang in there. Johnson tried to stay busy. That included working in the prison hospice unit. It gave him a new perspective. Growing up where I grew up, death, shootings, all those kinds of things are kind of normal, he said. Working in hospice, you develop a greater appreciation of life as you see someone go through that death process. Meanwhile, Kidd talked to an investigator with the Innocence Project and made the case that since Johnson had already done so much background work for himself that the process would have a head start. Mm -hmm. The organization took on his case. So, Lindsay Runnels, a Kansas City attorney who partners with the Innocence Project, said Johnson's work was vital. For example, she said his Freedom of Information Act request uncovered the extensive criminal background of the jailhouse informant, which called into question the man's integrity. He just did all of that groundwork on his own from his jail cell which nothing, with nothing but paper and stamp, Runnell said. St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner believed Johnson was innocent, but her efforts to help him were blocked when the Missouri Supreme Court in March of 2021 ruled that Gardner lacked the authority to seek a new trial 28 years after the conviction. Okay. So Missouri lawmakers distributed that an innocent person could remain in prison on the technicality that too much time had passed since his conviction. Passed a law enacted in August 2021 that allows prosecutors to request a hearing before a judge in case of potential wrongful conviction. That law freed another inmate, Kevin Strickland, in 2021 that I went over earlier. Yes. He had served more than 40 years for a Kansas City triple killing, which I think his ended up being 40. Was, he served 43 years. Yeah. So some states, including California and Hawaii, are also wrestling with wrongful conviction cases. And in California, Attorney General Rob Bonta 
is setting up a commission to review criminal cases for possible wrongful convictions. The Innocence Project's website says that across the U.S. it has helped free or exonerate more than 240 people. And that's 58 and 58% of whom are black people. Wow. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's all I'll say about that. So the vast majority of their clients were exonerated by DNA evidence. Now, Kid is a public speaker who also works with prosecutors to help them avoid convicting innocent people. He hopes Johnson will join him in his effort. What Johnson chooses to do next as a free man is unclear. Hmm. I think we can move the needle, prevent wrongful convictions in the first place, and help extricate more individuals on the back end, Kid said. Johnson said he's thankful to be free, even if he's unsure what the future holds. It's exciting and a little intimidating, he said. I have to go out here and learn and survive and get my life back in order. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. Yeah. Oh that was a gosh. whole lot of... That was a whole lot. Yeah. But, yeah. Those were good, though. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that... And how crazy is it that, like, he ended up being bunked with another innocent guy? He's yeah. like, well, if you... Like, I believe you if you believe me. Like, I'm innocent, too. And both turned out. Both turned out to be innocent. innocent. Isn't that crazy? Yes. I hope he joins I'm glad him. For him though. Yeah, yeah me I too. I hope so too. They need more people like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is part two. Yes, it was good, girl. It was good. Thanks, thanks, thanks. You're welcome. Um, if y'all liked it, thanks. <laughs> if y'all have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email us. Or if you have stories of your own. Yeah, listener stories. Listener It'd be nice stories. to do a part two. It would. Um, just email us at ameliamurders at gmail.com. And you can go to our Instagram at ameliamurders. Look at the people, places, things. And you can go to our Facebook group and page, A Million Murders, And, you know, keep updated with any updates that we may have. Mm-hmm. We post on it a little bit. It's not a lot. We don't have a lot of content like that. But, you know, if you're like, hey, that's weird. The episode isn't out. <laughs> the episode isn't out yet. Then, you know, you can always check there to see like, oh, you know, is someone sick? Did we forget? Something happened? And then, you know, you'll be updated there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Y'all. So thanks for tuning in. And we hope you come back for A, a Million, million More. more.